Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and it is mailbag time again. It's about that time. We did a little mini mailbag when Ogian and Obi got traded, but it was time for a proper January mailbag. And we got, guess what? Lots more trade questions. We're getting asked if DeMar DeRozan could sneakily be a good option for the Knicks. Should the Knicks go for him or DeJounte Murray or perhaps Malcolm Brogdon? And then we're going to talk about Deuce McBride, whether the Knicks should stick with him or look for another option to help run that bench unit. That's coming up next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150. If your team wins, visit fanduel.com slash locked on to get started. And I want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day, whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or taking insights and sounds on YouTube. We appreciate you making us a part of your daily routine make sure you hit that notification bell on youtube or the auto download function on your podcast app so you never miss an episode because i think we're on a we're on a heater right now it's like we've put out an episode well okay we put out sunday episode or the monday episode on sunday and then this episode's coming out on tuesday so that was like our first day that we've missed in like eight straight days so you know sometimes that happens and you want to have those notifications on just in case we're on a heater and there's lots of nick stuff to talk about uh, and uh, who would be talking to you in that case? I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor in chief of Nick's site to Strickland, which you can find Strick.land. And he's Gavin Shaw, your favorite play by play broadcaster's favorite play by play broadcaster. And you guys are our favorite fans because you submitted some questions today. So let's get right into it, Gavin. We've got our first question from Ali Sutan. I believe that's how it's pronounced at Catbird Ali. Uh, wants to know hey, clearly they're playing better defense with OG, they being the Knicks. But I still worry about the lack of shot creation with the loss of RJ and IQ. Do you think DeRozan would be a fit? And what would the cost be? It's a shorter window, but I would assume he's more affordable than Donovan Mitchell or DeJounte Murray. Uh, Gavin, DeMar DeRozan, what do you think? Yeah, I, I've i like slowly but surely talked myself into this since we, we both brought him up in the trade primer episode a few days ago. I honestly like I'm, I'm coming around on it. Like, and I'll, I'll give the caveat that I think he's, he's pretty clearly on the decline a little bit. Like last three seasons went from 27 points per game to 24 points per game to this season, just 22 points per game. And that's despite the fact that Zach Levine has missed whatever, like the last 20 or so games at this point, um, his rebounding is, is gone down 5.2 to 4.6 to 3.7 his shooting from the field which is is to me the most concerning part out of all this Alex has gone from over 50 percent the last two seasons to just 46.5 this year granted that might be influenced by the fact that he doesn't have Levine and defenses are able to key in on him because Chicago outside of a Kobe White who, who's electric super electric this season out of nowhere um there's not really anyone else to distract from DeMar and what he does um the good news is the three-point shooting is up a little bit he's up to 34 0.5% on 2.7 attempts, which by his standards is actually pretty good. The biggest thing for me here is, is the maturity. And I think um, we're going to get into this a little bit in our next question, but that kind of separates him from a DeJounte Murray, where I think at 34, and like given what happened with Toronto, where he obviously got traded away in the deal that ultimately won them the championship, and he never quite broke through with that team. Chicago had the one year where they were looking really good, but they, they haven't won a playoff series, and they, they've won only a handful of playoff games in his time. Like, 
I would assume at this point, a championship is the priority for him. And I think maybe more so than some of the other guys we're talking about um, on top of providing like really nice positional size, which is awesome. Um, he's going to be inclined to just kind of fit in with Brunson and Randall and be sort of content being like a overqualified third option in the starting lineup and then getting to be the fulcrum of bench units for what, I mean, whatever, 12 to 14 minutes per night where he can just cook and do his DeMar DeRozan thing. Um, I have some more thoughts on, on it, Alex. I'll, I'll throw it over to you. But again, the more I think about this, the more I like DeMar DeRozan on the Knicks. Um, I'm going to go opposite way. The more I think about oh. it, the more I'm out on it. If I'm being completely oh, no. honest, that breaks my heart out. We're always, yeah, we're always in lockstep. <laughs> what, what, God, give me the case. So there's, there's a few different reasons. One is the age thing. And as you said, he seems to be in decline in many ways. Uh, I just looked this up because I was curious. Uh, his shooting this year has not just gotten worse, like in terms of the overall percentages, but where he's shooting and the things that he's still not learning at this point in his career really stand out more. I feel like uh, if you look at his shot profile, file this year and i looked up julius randall's just out of curiosity and I, I i didn't have time to write the numbers down so i don't have like the full written comparison mm -hmm. but julius randall's shot composition essentially breaks down to something like like 300 attempts from inside of six feet uh and then like 180 attempts from three and then he's got it down to like 100 attempts in between those two you know things there where it's like 100, 100 attempts now from mid-range basically demar Derozan at this point in his career is and this is the case I looked at last year's shot log as well, and it's it was the case last year. He actually shoots pretty well at the rim. He shoots seventy four percent there, but he's only taken ninety eight attempts at the rim this year so far, and he's only taken ninety seven attempts from three to ten feet, uh, or three to less than ten feet. Then from ten feet to the three point line, and particularly in that long three uh, long mid range range there, but right before the three point line. He's taken almost three hundred attempts this year, and then only ninety three three pointers. So even though he's shooting better from three at 34% this year, he's not taking a lot of them. So it's not a shot that he's really looking for, which again, you know, feeds into the, I said the other day, like, I wonder if he was trying to try out for the Knicks by taking a lot more threes and being like, look, my shot profile could be better. Uh, but the worst part is, is that the shot that he takes the most, which is from 16 feet to uh, just inside the three point line, he's taken 149 attempts and he's only shooting 36% on those this year. So I just feel like there has not been... You know, we see certain players where like uh, Vince Carter is a great example of this or Jason Kidd, for example, guys that grow older in the league and gradually learn new skill sets, learn how to be a different player as they get older. And DeRozan, unfortunately, just seems to be leaning further into who he always has been, which is a mid-range shooter that doesn't really shoot a lot of threes and now is also not getting to the rim very much either. Uh, not that he's ever like made that a huge part of his diet but this year and last year at least in the numbers that i looked at he's been extremely focused on just shooting in the mid-range for the most part and last year was more excusable because much like randall in like 20 to 21 he was shooting like 46 percent in the mid-range last year which like you can live with if the other stuff is at least pretty much up to snuff you know from three and from in close you can live with that if that's kind of what his bread and butter is but that worries me a lot the other thing is that I don't want to be in charge if I'm the Knicks of dealing out his next contract, uh, which is what's going to happen if they get him this year. They're going to have to figure out, well, what's this guy worth it going into next year's age 35 season? How how much longer do we want to pay him for? How much do we want to pay him? You don't want to end up with like 
an albatross on your books. And so if he's going to, again, ask for like 35 million, which is about what he's making now, which also makes it a little harder to, to salary match him, I might add, because you have Evan Fournier's salary as your base building block there. I just feel like it's a really messy situation. I would not, I would not really go after him, to be completely honest. The shot profile scares me and might take away some of Brunson's sweet spot in that mid-range area. And then on top of it, I just don't, I, I don't really want to be in charge of paying him. So I'm I'm kind of out on DeRozan at this point. Yeah, I I, I hear you. And I, I think there's some valid arguments. And I, I'd be lying if I if I said and uh, pee down my leg a little when you when you gave some of those mid-range numbers. That being said, um, I do think it's a, it might be a little bit of a case of him just being depressed about being in Chicago, right? Cold city, crummy situation. Like I, I think it's, I've heard it argued and I would maybe agree with it. Like they're in the mix. Like you got to give the wizards and the pistons one and two right now, but they're in the mix, Alex, are one of the most depressing NBA situations at, at, at this point. There, there's just, there's very obviously no future there. Um, not just for him, but like for the team in general, like they don't have a lot of assets. They don't have a lot of young, exciting pieces outside of Kobe white. Now Patrick Williams has, has kind of failed, which, which sucks because I loved him as a prospect. Zach Levine situation is, is like a crap hole. Like that is not going well at all. And similar to how we saw Ananobi's like numbers inexplicably go way, 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 way down this year. Um, I think that could be what's going on with DeMar. Obviously, at 34, it is possible that he's just getting old. But the guy's been like an incredible mid-range artist his whole career. And I think like Chris Paul, I don't really see any reason like that aspect of his game shouldn't age pretty well. Obviously, like it's plausible that he's just getting less separation, getting less clean shots and therefore like harder shots and they're going in less. Like we'd have to do a deeper dive on the film to be sure about that. But I kind of have a feeling he'd be reinvigorated being in a winning context with the Knicks, like being in a better culture. And again, just being asked to do a whole lot at less is like the clear cut third option. And um, as, as the guy who leads the bench, I, I do agree. The contract matching is, is a pretty big issue. And one I should probably pay more heed to and something the Knicks would have to figure out. I'm not super concerned about his next contract. I, I kind of think he's only going to get something like maybe like 22, 23 million a year because the only teams that are going to want to pay him are contending teams that all don't have a lot of money. So unless someone like the Sixers wants to go crazy, I think you can get him at a reasonable number. And then I'm going to, I'll make the same argument for Malcolm Brogdon later on in the pod. Like, I think you can do something similar to what the Celtics did um, with Brogdon um, where, where you can trade him plus some picks for a more talented player. And, and maybe you even are able to do that a little bit easier than someone like DeJounte Murray, who's a longer commitment for another team. So maybe, maybe I'm off the base on that, but I don't know. My instinct is that it would, it would just work. He's a really good passer, like over five assists per game this year, good free throw shooter, and just a confident playoff scorer. To me, that's the biggest thing. Like, like he is someone who's taken and made big shots his career in the playoffs. I don't think he's going to be scared of the moment. And I think if the Knicks goal is to win now, like he is very much ready for that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I can't help but remember all the times with Toronto where they weren't able to really accomplish anything until they got rid of him in the playoffs. Which, but that was because they got Kawhi and they were going against LeBron. Yeah. I don't know. I think it was. Yeah, LeBron. I guess. I don't know. It, he scares me a bit. It, you'd have to, you have to go all the way back to San Antonio uh, on his career ledger. So three full years ago to get to the point where he took more shots inside of 10 feet than he did from the mid range in That's his career. It, it scares me. If that efficiency is dropping with his age, like maybe he's getting less lift on his jumper or whatever. I haven't really watched him enough to know for sure. But like, if that's the case, like his efficiency is 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 going to harm this team. I feel like, and 
he's starting to slip back at that point back into being more like the guy the Knicks just got rid of and RJ Barrett that we said, you know, like getting yeah. rid of what he was offering uh, was has proven to be pretty beneficial to the Knicks in that starting unit. So I guess we'll see. But we got more time to talk about DeMar DeRozan because we got asked if we would rather have him or DeJounte Murray at the deadline. And then also, I think we're just going to turn this into one mega question. Also, if Malcolm Brogdon or DeJounte Murray would be preferable. So we'll probably talk about all three of those guys in the next segment. But first, Gavin, would you like to let everybody know about our friends over at BetterHelp? Yeah, Alex, I, I, I love BetterHelp, and this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. So around New Year's, and this always, always happens to me, you inevitably get obsessed with how to change yourself instead of just expanding on what you're already doing right. I know personally, like I, I definitely have a propensity for setting like unrealistic goals and holding myself to extremes that that simply aren't realistic. And I think what I love about therapy is like it it, it helps you put things in perspective and and maybe the biggest thing is just being able to celebrate your wins, Alex. Because I know I'm I'm not very good at that. Um, and therapy can also help you find your strengths. So you ditch your extreme resolutions and make changes that actually stick. Which at the end of the day isn't isn't it what we're all trying to do when we make a resolution? So if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I can say personally that therapy changed my life and uh, kind of just my perspective on my own thoughts and how to how to process them and, and and what to give importance to and what to just sort of let float away. So celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Locked on NBA today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Locked on NBA. All righty, Alex, you prefaced it. We are continuing DeMar DeRozan, DeJounte Murray. We got the first question was from Matt Kaplan. I remember he used to, he used to um, uh, be in those uh, live chats we used to do. So shout out to Matt Kaplan at Kaplan uh, Matane, M-A-T-A-N-E, if you want to throw him a follow on Twitter. He wanted to know if you had to choose between going after DeMar or DeJounte at the deadline, which one are you going with? And if we're going to combine the questions, let's throw in one from the YouTube side of things. Shout out to at JacksonFire2949. I always wonder how people come up with those numbers. And he wanted to know who would be a better fit for this Knicks team, Brogdon or Murray. So Alex, we got we got the triple comp here. Um, who who are you going with out of that trio? And it, it it's fascinating in the sense that Brogdon is obviously a different tier than those guys, but maybe that's just the direction that you want to go in, and you think it's better for the Knicks to make a smaller move on the margins. Yeah, I guess it would all come down to cost, right? Like at the same cost for all three guys, I would probably consider DeJounte Murray to be the highest upside swing. So if it's like, I don't know, like Fournier and whatever pieces you have to make salary work and, you know, like assuming just end of bench guys, Archie Diacono and, you know, guys like that, uh, plus like two first round picks or something like that. Like if that's the set price for any one of these guys, then I would probably go DeJounte Murray. So I think that's my that's my like upside swing. That's the home run swing. That's the like you're hoping that he combine the best parts of both of his stops in his career so far the the defense and uh the playmaking from san antonio and just the overall driving of of competent basketball i mean he he basically upon his exit that team went from a consistent like play-in contender to like uh, the worst team in the league or one of them you know like they were it was it was bad i mean he was he was a significant floor raiser there 
Uh, but then we've seen since he's gone to Atlanta, you know, he was expected to be a ceiling raiser there. And unfortunately, that combo with Trey Young really hasn't worked out. That said, you know, it's mostly because it seems like he's not giving them the extra things they need on defense, which was part of why they brought him in was to be sort of that defensive presence next to Trey Young. So you can continue having Trey Young out there on the floor as your high minute starting point guard. And he hasn't really provided that much, which, you know, again, is that scheme? Is that him not playing as well? I'm not totally sure what the deal is there as far as why that part hasn't worked out, but he has become a much more efficient scorer and he's now shooting like 37% on like almost eight attempts per game from three this year, which is crazy considering he's only shot like 33, 34% at any other year in his career. So if he's actually turned a corner in that regard and then can reclaim some of his defensive prowess on the Knicks, I mean, that would potentially be a really high upside swing and also give you a guy with a flexible salary going forward to potentially include in a, deal for like Joel Embiid or something. And if he like really balls out this year, you can use him as a centerpiece of that deal, both for salary and play purposes to kind of sell the Sixers on a, 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 a retooled, but not torn down version of their team, which would probably be appealing to, to Daryl Morey. Uh, if I was going the other way where I'm saying it's all cost dependent, uh, I might go Malcolm Brogdon instead. You know, if it's, if it's going to cost more for DeJounte Murray, then I think just getting a guy like Brogdon that can that can score efficiently and essentially do what Emmanuel Quickly was doing. You had that exact note in our in our notes here of like, if you want to just be Emmanuel Quickly, that's pretty solid. Uh, yeah. Then I, I'd maybe go Brogdon's way. And if Brogdon ultimately just costs like a first round pick and Evan Fournier, then cool. Even if it's like the Knicks unprotected first round pick this year, much like what they did with Josh Hart last year, I think that's a solid investment. And gives your team kind of exactly what it needs when it, they've been playing as well as they have these last few games since getting OG anyway. So maybe you don't need to reinvent the wheel here, or reinvent the starting lineup as it were. Uh, so yeah, I think I think that's my my main thing. And then I, I would put DeRozan honestly at a distant third behind those three, just because of all the things I outlined in the first segment. Yeah, I, I hear you. Um, I, I'll, I'll start off. I'll, I'll do kind of like a, a, a challenger style thing. So we can start off comparing um, Brog or sorry, DeRozan and DeJounte, just because I think I think Brogdon is like, as I was alluding to when I asked you the question, is just almost in his own category a little bit like it's, it's a different type of acquisition. DeMar and DeJounte, you're kind of going halfway down like, all right, let's get a certifiable third star road. Well, not going all the way down that road with Brogdon. There's no ambiguity, right? Like, like that's a move to be better this year. And someone like, maybe if it works out, like you could keep heading into a future season, though he does make enough money to the point that like, it gets a little complicated. If you're trying to keep him, Randall Brunson, OG, and then add another star. In fact, like I'm, I'll rephrase that. Like, I think it's pretty much impossible to keep all those guys. Um, But, 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 but um, between DeMar and DeJounte, like, almost essentially even stats this year. They're really like the only separator there is the fact that DeJounte shooting way better from three point range, which worries me because that tells you he's also shooting even worse than DeMar is from two point range. Um, So that 47% mark is great. But when you take into account that he's shooting 39% from three, it tells you the two point finishing hasn't been all that good this year for DeJounte. And like, I was looking at his at the rim numbers, Alex, like he's low volume and he's like, he's just not that efficient at the basket. And like, maybe some of that is, is, is kind of the same issue the Knicks have had with Mitchell Robinson for years where Clint Capella or Onyeko Kongu are kind of parked right at the rim. And that kind of messes with his finishing, but also that Atlanta team has, I mean, outside of Jalen Johnson being back in the lineup also is a lot of spacing. So I, I, I think maybe, maybe we'll have our buddy Brad from locked on Hawks at 
on at some point to tell us a little bit more about him, but that would be a point of concern for me, I think. Um, And I'm not saying that DeJounte isn't a winner because to your point, he, he did in in San Antonio was like the best player on some decent teams. I don't think you can attribute their drop off though, like entirely to him leaving just because they also had Derek White on those teams and they also had Jakob Pertl on those teams. And even DeMar DeRozan uh, once upon a time was a key piece on one of those teams. So that was further back. I think it's more Trey Young than him, but I just, I can't get it out of my head. The idea that it would sort of be dueling banjos, very similar to how it is in Atlanta and like a little your turn, my turn between him and Brunson, which you could argue the same for DeMar DeRozan. But I I just kind of think at this point in his career, DeMar would be a little bit more content being the third option while DeJounte would come to New York and be like, this is great. I have a bigger platform for myself. I'm not playing with Trey Young, who's like a, a more consistent, I guess, like 30 point scorer, like high volume shooter than even someone like Brunson is like, like this is my time to shine. I could be the best dude on this team. And that would be a little worrying. And to me, like it's on the Knicks to do some serious Intel gathering and figure out like, all right, would DeJounte be okay? Leaning into defense, leaning into off ball shooting, leaning into leading the bench unit. While Malcolm Brogdon, like you don't even have to think about any of that stuff because that's just who he's been his entire career. Like last year on the Celtics, like he was probably the fourth option or the fifth option at times. And he was awesome at that. He shot 44% from three. So out of the three of them, like if the question is about fit, like Brogdon is the cleanest fit, like lowest ceiling, but maybe the highest floor out of all three of these guys. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I mean, I I think that he has the least opportunity to mess up a good thing. Let's put it that way. Like, and that was what I was alluding to. Like, if you don't want to reinvent the wheel, your team, your team just blew out the Sixers by 30 and then, you know, just handily dispatched the Wizards by, you know, 16 points the other night. You know, you've had a bunch of statement wins in the last week, a four game win streak right now, possibly could turn into a five game win streak on Tuesday. I mean, it's just like at this point, you know, do you want to mess this up? Like, do you want to potentially get DiVincenzo out of the starting lineup and, you know, throw either DeRozan or, or DeJounte Murray in there and potentially, you know, gum up this offense a little bit. I don't know. You know, that's maybe where Brogdon becomes a cleaner fit where you could say then, well, Brogdon can come off the bench no matter what. And then if he is hot, then play him instead of DiVincenzo. Nobody's going to be offended in that situation. Clearly DiVincenzo isn't, Uh, you know, maybe it caps Quentin Grimes opportunities to potentially close games a little more, but, Oh, no, I think it would be a, you know, that would definitely be the cleanest. And like you said, maybe the highest floor, you know, almost the most sure thing that you could do is get Malcolm Brogdon versus the other two guys. But if you want to take more of a home run swing, I mean, my thought with DeJounte versus a a DeRozan as well would have a lot to do with running the bench unit and being the guy that stays out there through the end of the first quarter, sort of shepherds that bench unit. If he got more opportunities to create with them, you know, to go out there and like, then it can be his show for a few minutes a game. You know, he could play with that bench unit, drive and kick and, you know, do all the things that he did in San Antonio and have a grand old time. Uh, But it's, it, as you said, requires some form of commitment to more defense, more off ball movement and stuff when Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle are on the floor, which is something that he hasn't been super comfortable with to this point in his career. Uh, But Gavin, I think real quick, before we get into our, our last segment and talking a little more about uh, some of these guys, although we're going to bring up some new names uh, about guys to potentially help in the Deuce McBride role right now. Uh, but or if we should just let Deuce keep cooking uh, since we've seen some improvement over these last few games before that, I want to let everybody know about our good friends over at FanDuel. 
So the NFL regular season is wrapping up. We're literally as we're recording this, I think it's where, well, there's still Monday night football to be played, but the NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Of course, playoffs are next. That'll be much more fun. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. I really wish I had a... I had had that today. I placed a $5 bet. Well, I'll explain that in just a sec. The app is really so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet, like, like live same-game parlays. You can find bets in the new Explore tab, and you can make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays. Or you could be a lunatic like me and make your own parlay. Today, uh, we're recording this on Sunday. Today, I, I made my own parlay, and someone earlier had shared in a uh, – in the Strickland Discord server, actually, our uh, our Strictly NFL guy, Khan, shared, hey, guys, if anyone you know wants a good line, Kendra Miller on New Orleans is a plus 480 for an anytime touchdown. That's pretty solid. So I was like, well, let me build just a total nonsense bet. Well, long story short, I came within two touchdowns of potentially winning $10,000 on a $5 bet. So you could be a lunatic like me, build a giant parlay, or you could just bet single things and make a couple bucks here and there. I don't know. It's it's a lot of fun either way. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, Gavin, we're back in to finish up talking through this this first real mailbag of of 2024 we uh did the the little you know asked a couple mailbag questions for the OG trade episode but this is our first proper one uh and we'll have some more questions coming up for later in this week pending the Knicks making some seismic shift that blows everything out of the water and makes all the questions not relevant anymore uh but we have a question from one of our faves Jordan Bub at Bub Jordan on Twitter uh, wants to know, so what's the perfect piece for the bench right now? Or do we let Deuce lead the bench unit alongside one of Jalen Brunson or Julius Randle? Uh, we already sort of talked about Brogdon, Gavin, so I, I don't know if we have to go too much more in depth, but he made our list. But we we cooked up a couple other names that could potentially be good for the Knicks to look at as well. Yeah, the only issue with, with Brogdon, and I, I hinted at this last segment, is, is is the amount of money he makes. I mean, the $22.5 million this year and next year, like that, uh, un unless you're looking to include Randall in that star trade, because presumably you're not including Brunson or you're not including OG, like that, that makes things very, very tough on the Knicks, unless like maybe if they trade Mitchell Robinson and maybe if they make the star move also at the deadline, like we, we, we got to get uh, Jeremy Cohen on here at some point to, to break down all the mechanics of it. But even, even as a cap admitted cap novice, I know that uh 22 and a half million is, is not, is not good for the books. Even, even if there is a big jump um, heading into 2025 in, in, in terms of how much money teams are able to spend with the new TV deal. So um, this question kind of inspired me, like some names more on the margin and margins. And Alex, we went over some of them in our big primer last week, but I just want to throw a couple of new ones out there and I, I'll do some quick hitters and you could maybe let me know who you like most out of the list. Uh, TJ McConnell, who you, you told me very specifically before the show, you don't, you don't really like, but you would, you'd maybe like on the Knicks. Um, of course he's, he's annoying, but he could be annoying for us. Um, really talented passer, like pretty efficient score, just doesn't take anything off the table and, and can just do like all the basic point guard stuff at a pretty high level that Deuce McBride for um, everything he's bringing right now as a shooter and as a insane putback dunker, apparently um, you don't really get just like the pure point guard setup stuff that I think honestly would do 
wonders for the second unit. The elevated version of that is Tyus Jones, who is a free agent this summer. So that's a little bit concerning. But as you noted to me, Alex, before we started the show, is having a absolute career year in what's somehow like his eighth or ninth season in the league. I didn't realize he's, he's been around that long already. Already 27 years old, but 12 and a half points per game, five and a half assists per game, uh, three rebounds per game. And, and what stands out is the shooting, 52% from the field, keyed by 43% from three. On, on just under or just over three and a half attempts per game. Only shoot 75% of the line, but that's mostly a product of just very few attempts. Like he's pretty good in the past when he gets there, 81% for his career. Like Tyus Jones, like might like like Brogdon is sort of the upper tier version of this guy. Jones is the middle tier, McConnell's the lower tier. Like maybe going with Tyus Jones would, would, would make a whole lot of sense for the Knicks. The only issue again is resigning him and 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 the implications um down the road for how you're gonna handle getting that big, big monster mega star contract in there that the Knicks presumably want to get. Yeah. I, I I'm so I think in terms of the, in terms of the financials, I think if the Knicks make another move and it's for a guy with a lot of money still left on his deal, like Brogdon, for example, I think the idea there, and, and this is the same with DeJounte Murray, which is why like he's actually, his salary is jumping quite a bit after this year, he's going from like 20, 20 million or whatever it is he's making right now up to like 30 million almost. And that's sort of appealing in a way, because I think that the Knicks plan would be then, okay, if Joel Embiid becomes available this coming off season or whatever, then you've, that's your salary building block for making that trade. Yeah. Uh, so, so in, in that perspective, like the Brogdon deal doesn't worry me too much. Uh, the Rozier deal actually looks pretty solid because he's making like 27 million, which is, you know, a, a really good starting point. And for an attractive player who scores a lot of points really efficiently, I just wonder how much like Charlotte would ask for him. Like, I don't know what Charlotte's motivations are at this point. Like clearly they came into this year, I think thinking that they maybe had something to play for mm -hmm. and it doesn't look like they're there yet. Um, you know, it's maybe karma is a, a, you know what, uh, in terms of the guy that they decided to, bring back this year and feature yeah. in a large role. Um, but, you know, it's, I don't know what their motivations would be in a trade, how much they'd be looking to get back for Rogier, like how much they view him as part of the future, or do they want to just look at their roster and be like, pretty much everybody here is younger. Like Rogier is on the upper end of his career at this point at like 27 years old, I think he is, or 28, something like 29. that. 29. 29, even older. Yeah. So, I mean, he's sort of reaching the point where you might want to say, eh, maybe now's the time to sell high. Uh, but what high is, I don't know. Is that is that one unprotected first round pick? Is that like what they want, like uh, unprotected and a protected or something for him? I don't know what the market would be. And honestly, what Brogdon's market ends up settling in on, if he's the first guy to go out of the two, would probably dictate what they might be willing to accept for Rogier, just because you you run into the size concerns with him and stuff like that, where you're like, ah, like. How much can we really trust this guy to be like a starting two guard? But is he a good enough distributor to be a one? You know, whatever. Um, but Tyus Jones, I think, if I was going to look at this new list, I mean, there's nothing against TJ McConnell in terms of what he does on a basketball court. I, I often describe him as a gnat. He annoys the crap out of me whenever the Knicks play him. He's just all over the place. He's up in everybody's face the whole time. Type of guy you hate to have on the other team, but we would probably grow to love him if he was a Nick. Let's be real. But you know, he's not much of a three-point shooter. He would probably be pretty much what he is on Indiana from what it looks like this year, about a 15-minute-per-game guy. Can go out there, can, you know, feed the hungry mouths in the second unit, and then that's pretty much it. Like, he's not much of a shooter himself. 
Uh, he's just like a really good distributor and, and a pest on defense. Tyus Jones, I think, could give you a little bit of everything, though. And like his best role in his career has been being like an all star backup uh, at point guard. And, you know, Clyde alluded to it on the broadcast the other day. Like, even though he's having a career year shooting, obviously Washington has not turned out as good as everybody thought. And some of that, at least, is being placed on like, oh, maybe Tyus Jones wasn't the lead guard that everybody thought he was going to be. Like, you didn't see this huge uptick in his production that everybody was thinking, even though he's shooting better percentages, he's not being like necessarily more aggressive or whatever. He's still sort of playing like more of a backup point guard, I guess. Uh, yeah. So if he's willing to come and play that role again, doesn't make a ton of money. So from that salary, future salary matching perspective, not quite as appealing. Uh, and I think he's actually expiring this year. Yes. Tyus Jones. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not super appealing, but from a fit perspective this year, and then potentially a guy you would want to extend going forward and keep as like Brunson's long-term backup who can spot start if should anything ever happen to Brunson. I, I think he would be a really good fit from that perspective. Yeah, I hear you. I think just circling back on the salary point, like it's it's and I I don't I don't know if I have a strong take on what the right answer here. It's like an interesting philosophical question. Like, is it worth getting a bit better now? if you know your your ceiling is still probably short of legitimate championship contender, I don't know about you. I don't think DeJounte Murray makes the Knicks a championship contender. That being said, like, like I keep, we keep saying versions of the same thing. Like if you got the three point shooting defense playmaking version of him, like the, the defender he was in San Antonio, where it was like all, all defense team, like him, OG and Hartenstein together. Like that is about as good as you can do around um, Brunson and Randall without trading for Kawhi Leonard and, and throwing him in the starting lineup, right? That would be awesome. Like there's enough spacing there that it makes sense offensively. Like again, the the very best version of that, like you could talk to yourself, like the Knicks being like an injury or two away from being in the Eastern Conference Finals, or maybe not even an injury away from being in the Eastern Conference Finals. And then who knows what happens when you get there. So like there's a case for that. My fear is that you're you're giving up assets to just to go maybe around further in the playoffs. And then that's great, right? You have that contractual building block in a star trade, but is that worth it versus just like having to cobble together smaller salaries or having to figure out something else and like being able to retain those extra, like if it's DeJounte Murray, those extra two first round picks, if you're in a bidding war for someone like a Joel Embiid, like, like who knows if Luka Doncic somehow becomes available. And granted, like, at the end of the day, you're never outbidding Oklahoma City or or even Utah or even Houston. So maybe that stuff matters like a little bit less. And it's just about those guys wanting to come to New York and not wanting to go anywhere else. But that that that's sort of rattling around the back of my head. Like, are you are you willing to spill assets that can push you over the edge? Um, and, and, and I guess the, the counter argument to that is like DeJounte Murray, if he's worth two first round picks to the Knicks. Why wouldn't he be worth two first round picks in one of those trades down the road? And you have a Portland Malcolm Brogdon scenario where they can just redirect him to a third team later on in the season. So, so maybe I've, I've, I've talked down my own argument, but I, I just think that's something to think about in, in these discussions. Yeah. All interesting points and all ones we'll probably be getting into more. I did just want to, I want to circle back real quick onto the sort of the, the nexus of this question from Jordan of the, of Deuce leading the bench. Unit. Oh, I forgot about that. Sorry. Jordan. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and as far as that, I think it's just, you continue seeing what you have in Deuce. You have a month to, if you so choose, you know, which the Knicks, as we're recording this on Sunday night, a few hours ago, just released Taj Gibson, mm -hmm. which maybe is, you know, sort of a uh, a little bit of a, a 
precursor. A, uh, war- uh, yeah, warning sign, you know, that another move is coming soon. Uh, we're not totally sure. It was apparently had something to do with his guarantee date on his deal. So they were just trying to like be like, well, all right, we don't want this to go fully guaranteed and have to pay you like $2 million or whatever. So sorry, Taj, but we're letting you go, uh, which tough break for Taj there. But I mean, I, I think if you so choose, you could take another month, get a look at Deuce. He's showing some progress, but I feel like yeah. a lot of what what we're going to need to see out of him would come from offseason work. Uh, like he's going to need to just take an entire offseason and work on his handle more. He's going to take an entire offseason and try to work a floater into his game, have good training behind him and stuff like that. I don't know if there's I don't know how much he can really figure out an on the job training to actually like elevate this team as much this year. Um, but I guess we'll see. I don't know. I mean, we had someone in our YouTube comments being like, how are you like underestimating? He's only had four games. It's like that would be that would be, you know, a legitimate argument if he was like a rookie. But we yeah. have two years prior to this, and he had every opportunity to crack the rotation and stay in the rotation for years and just hasn't quite figured it out yet. And I don't think he's a bad player, but, you know, I, I think he's got a lot of things to figure out still at this point now in his, his third year in the NBA. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I If the Knicks get an opportunity for not too much to upgrade this year, they could be a Dark Horse ECF team, could be a Dark Horse Finals team for all we know if, if things break the right way. If they pick up like a Malcolm Brogdon, I don't think they should hold themselves back from doing that if it costs a first round pick or two. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, going forward, we'll see. We'll see. But I, I hope Deuce is able to carve out a role because I really like him and I like his game. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm with you and I, I don't need to add anything else. Um, I think this is as good of a note as any to end on, but we will be back with more pods this week. Special guest coming on this week. I won't spoil it, but uh, it's a name I mentioned in recent episodes if you've been listening closely um, and we'll have plenty of game recaps for you. But until then, he's Alex. I'm Gavin. Enjoy your week. We'll talk to you very, very soon on Locked on Knicks.